Welcome to the Stopping to Think podcast. I'm Will Dole. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying, you can give a rate or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Today we have an article I wrote entitled, Glory Slain. In the opening chapters of 2 Samuel, we meet David in an awkward place. Having been anointed king in 1 Samuel 16 and then defeating Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, and becoming a great man in Saul's house, the tables had turned and he spent the next several years on the run. But at the end of the first installment of the Samuel narratives, we find out that Saul has died. Suddenly relieved of the burden of being hunted, we might expect to find David rejoicing. Instead, David, upon receiving news of Saul's death, rends his garments. The structural center of 2 Samuel 1, 1-16 is David mourning. In the words of commentator Dale Ralph Davis, the narrator thinks that the most important item in this story is the grief and wailing of David and his men over Israel, her fallen leaders and troops. So far from finding this to be good news is David, he has the Amalekite who brought the news, and who falsely claimed to have taken Saul's life, executed. And then David continues to mourn, which then takes us to our passage under consideration. 2 Samuel 1, 17-27 and David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. He said, Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa. Let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned back. The sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Your, you daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. This is a song of lament. Why would David lament over the death of Saul and Jonathan? Uh, such a question seems beyond answering for some critical scholars, unless they treat this as some kind of hagiographical reconstruction which is unmoored from history. But if we take the text straightforwardly, we understand that the sanctity of Yahweh's anointed king had the status of dogma for David, so says commentator Davis again. Further, we will remember the bond between David and Jonathan seen in 1 Samuel chapter 18, chapter 20. David sees the tragedy for his nation in the death of Saul and the tragedy for himself in the death of Jonathan. The lament is structured with an inclusio of how the mighty have fallen in verses 19 and 25. However, the Poetic lament runs out past the end of these markers, turning from a stylized lament over the leaders of Israel to a more personal lament for David's friend, Jonathan. In between verses 19 and 25, though, we find a chiastic structure. 
Part A, Israel's glory is slain, the mighty have fallen, verse 19, which pairs with the end, verse 25, we might call AB, Jonathan is slain, the mighty have fallen. Then the step in, in the chiasm, BA, don't tell, let the Philistine, lest the Philistine daughters rejoice in verse 20, and then down in verse 24, it says, to weep daughters of Israel for he who cared for you. And then at the center, CA, we find the shield protection of the nation has fallen into disgrace. The, it's no longer anointed with oil, instead covered with dust in verse 21. And then CB, Jonathan and Saul, the protective leaders, were mighty in life before they had fallen. Protection had been provided for the nation by Saul's imperfect leadership, especially insofar as it was characterized by his son Jonathan's valor. Jonathan's bow is referenced in verse 22, and this, the tune of this song likely is named after that same bow. See the footnote in the ESV on verse 18. The loss of the protective shield should rightly lead to weeping among those who had benefited from his reign, verse 24. At the same time, one can be sure that despite David's prohibitions on such in this lament, the news would carry to Gath, and the daughters of the Philistines would rejoice in their triumph, in the triumph of their army, in the triumph they would think of their god Dagon. The defeat of Saul and his sons was an ugly day for Israel, and this song of lament is a formal recognition of that fact. One modern preoccupation with this text is to what, if any degree, is David implying a homosexual relationship with Jonathan? Now, it would seem that a clear reading of this text in its biblical context would lead us to agree again with Dale Ralph Davis, who said, it is utterly wrong-headed to read the idea of homosexuality into this text. Now, the affection between Jonathan and David for one another is deep, but it is our modern obsession with sexualized identities that drives us to insert relationships forbidden by God into a narrative which, had such a sinful relationship existed, the narrator would have had no problem criticizing David for such an inappropriate relationship. See chapters 11 and 12 in his sin with Bathsheba. The, the narrator isn't putting David up on a pedestal where he cannot be criticized. Rather than seeing, oh, love here must speak of, of homosexuality, we should recognize, in the words of Matthew Henry, for a man to love one who he knew was to take the crown over his head, and to be so faithful to his rival, this far surpassed the highest degree of conjugal affection and constancy. End quote. David recognizes what should be obvious to the careful reader. He has lost the best friend and ally he could ever have asked for, and he rightly gives air to his sadness. In conclusion, for, for leaders to fall, is a tragedy for God's people. We see this in our own day in the church. When leaders topple, even if they weren't good leaders, the effect of the fall can have all sorts of horrific fallout. When an abusive pastor is exposed or fired, often the result is not renewal in that church, but the disintegration of the church. Such was the, nearly the case for the house of Israel, as there still waited seven years between the death of Saul and the acknowledgement of David as king over the united tribes. When Saul fell in battle, 
Though it opened the way for the Davidic glory years, it was not a smooth transition. It was a sad day for the people, a day worthy of lament. This has been the Stop In To Think Podcast. I'm Will Dole. Thanks for listening.